0: Hi everybody and welcome back to this week's edition of B2B NAV and we're going to revisit a topic that we've actually covered in the previous podcast that is um, ABM. so for those of you that aren't, maybe aren't familiar with it, we're talking about account-based marketing, which was certainly one of the buzzwords and trends that was predicted to come more to the forefront of B2B uh, marketing in 2020 and beyond. Um, I guess across our client-based guys, we've seen various clients starting to adopt, embrace and consider um, ABM as part of their marketing mix. Does anybody want to give us an introduction or an overview of ABM or would you like me to? I don't mind either way.
1: Oh, I'll go for it. And you can go certainly on, it go, on and up.
0: go on, Ollie. So,
1: ABM is account based marketing. So the uh, general principle is that instead of um, reaching out there to a broad audience, looking at your, your kind of target uh, industries and kind of promoting to everybody, you start thinking uh, first about who you'd like to work with. Create that list of specifically which companies you'd like to work with. You often split this down into kind of tier ones to threes in terms of who's the most important, who are the big players you'd love to win, um, down to who are the people that you'd like to work with, but you don't necessarily want to put as much budget into trying to target. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you kind of start widening it out from there. So at those companies, who are the contacts that you need to speak to, and not in general, who are the contacts, but specifically. What are the roles? What are their names? What are their job titles? Where do they work? And finding out more and more information about them so that you can deliver them a very personalized marketing experience. You can give them a unique content, unique to them, um, that really kind of puts your best foot forward, but positions it in, in a way that really fits what their needs are, what their company's needs are, and what their individual needs are within their role so that you've got a much better chance of them being engaged and caring versus them just seeing kind of a generic uh, promotion
0: okay nastin nice alright john for all the listeners that are probably sat there going isn't don't we always do that isn't that common sense marketing what's your
2: what's your thoughts i well yeah, i well, you know my opinion on this it is i get really frustrated with things like this um, mm. content marketing is another really good example of a similar thing you know mm. i'll start with that and move on but 10 years ago there was this big kind of move of everyone was talking about content marketing content marketing content Oh, it's this, it's that, it's the other, you know, HubSpot came to, came into existence, as did a lot of the marketing automation platforms.
0: Yeah.
2: And fundamentally, isn't that what we've always just done? Mm -hmm. As an industry, we've created content to sell things to people. Mm -hmm. And then with ABM, there's, I think there's a danger of it. Is it a technolo- is it the tech companies trying to find a place in the marketing mix and inventing something? Yeah. And creating something that fundamentally again existed. I can remember back in like oh, right back in the day in the early two thousands, when we did things called RPCs, which were reply paid cards on yeah. every piece of direct mail. You didn't you sent the odd email, but most of it was done through RPCs where someone would have a checklist of maybe 10 things. Are you interested in this, this, and this? And you tick them, yep. send it back in. And then your marketing would manually be sent back out to you aligned to what you said you liked we're, we're and what in. you were interested in.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think yeah. for me, I think so one, I, of, the th- one I of the things that's shaping it is the C suites putting more pressure on return on investment on marketing budgets, isn't it though? So I think mm-hmm. my, my, my take on it is, for, for for good high quality marketeers and salespeople, it's something that you've always done. So it's just it's just laser focused marketing and laser focused selling. So as Ollie kicks off with at the beginning, the analogy that's always given is marketeers tend to cast the net wide in hope of catching a fish of relevance that you actually went out to catch that day. Whereas ABM is much more like replacing the net with the spear and being more focused around your efforts, exactly as Ollie said at the start. But then I think it's come about more recently. Tech stack developments and all the rest to it, which we we'll can definitely come back to. But also the fact that there's no for marketeers to hold There's less and less places for marketeers to hide. So mm. the, the days of spray and pray marketing, when it was kind of like, Oh, that's just have a go in hope. Nobody asked the question. What, what business impact did that have? And people are hiding, hoping it doesn't come up in a meeting. Now people are asking those questions.
2: So what did we get from that? What was the bottom line impact? I, I, it's interesting. I think that's come about because of there's more of an alignment between sales and marketing. And there was yeah. always, and you, you can, you can hop back and you can see it where it happened that if someone was questioned, well, what was the business impact of this marketing campaign? It'd be, Oh, well got lost in sales, didn't it? Or sales (laughs) would then go, Oh, well, we've not had anything from marketing. So suddenly there's like this, that huge disconnect. And the one thing I would say is while I do derive technology for just trying to jump and kind of create almost create problems for it to solve, what it does do is it does make it easier and it does yeah. make it more accountable and it does make it more manageable. Yeah. And yeah. for that, that's a real positive. But well, I think one of the things we yeah. have fundamentally as I was going to say, one oh. of the things that I guess is quite different
1: between the past and the present is that if you if you were going to do a marketing campaign in the early 90s, I'm assuming you would have started with a list of companies because you needed to make something <coughs> list. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: You would,
1: you would actually do that. You'd buy that list from, and I'm sure in many cases it was a huge list, but you knew which companies you were contacting. As we moved into this digital landscape, then that's no longer the case. I'm literally ticking boxes that say, I want to target this industry, I want to target yep. these jobs of compressing sand. And I don't really know who that's going to. So mm-hmm. I think when you start thinking about the fact that yeah, budgets are getting more challenged and we want to see ROI, we look at that campaign and say, we've advertised to this industry, great, what did we get out of it? And we've got these three companies, actually want to work with them or not? Yep. Maybe not. So this is kind of, I would say, a bit of a a reaction to that, that we say actually, well rather than going with these industry-wide campaigns, let's focus on those three big opportunities that we want to win and, and really hammer them home.
0: But you see more and more, aren't you, that the marketing consultancies, and you know we do it when we try to explain it to somebody, when you're talking about flipping the funnel. So the sales funnel, typically, you'll see all these pictures with it magically twisting around at the minute and showing you more of a you know, start with who you want to sell to and start with who you want to engage with. But again, I just keep coming back to it. Surely that's common sense. Surely everybody has those conversations, but I guess maybe if they haven't and they've been casting the net wide, one of the next barriers I think we're seeing with our clients or prospects is Okay, I know I want to sell to these. So we've, we've got to follow an ABM route or a laser targeted sales and marketing route, whatever you want to refer to it as, but let's call it what it's been called in the industry: ABM. So you've picked your ten accounts you want to sell to, maybe ten individuals in some cases. So we've had it with some construction clients where there's actually key individuals that hold the keys to framework agreements or panels or considerations for attenders and so on. So they pick these ten people they want to market to. Where where do you start? And this seems to be the stumbling block I think for for the the next chunk of things in a way of okay I'm going to do this, what on earth do I do next and I think that So, what, what's the advice there, what's your experience so far I guess with the clients we've worked with, your knowledge of the industries, what, what are you seeing
1: so I think we, we recently did this with a client of ours and I, I think the, the starting point is obviously understanding which companies you want to work with uh, and I've, I'd say that most companies and most sales teams already have that in mind but if not then that's something that just needs to be talked mm-hmm. through. The next step which I, I don't think our clients necessarily always understand initially is doing that deep dive into those uh, potential clients prospects to understand who it is that you need to be speaking to because it's not enough to know that you want to work with company a you need to know who at company a and then going further to understand their role and what they're interested in so the first place to start for us is always having that very detailed research process so that we understand who we're reaching we have the ability to reach them in understanding you know how to contact them where they where they work What's their telephone number, in some cases what's their email address and so on, and understanding what they what
2: they need to see to make them pay attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a need for re- a bit of realism in that as well, though, isn't there? In that I think everyone puts so much onus on ABM being the the silver bullet that's going to solve all the problems. Yeah. But actually you've got to be real realistic enough in your thinking to know that it's a journey. It is a yeah. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you're absolutely right. All we can do, and I've seen it with our work. You know, we do an incredible deep dive of research right at the beginning, but actually, it's like when you meet someone or meet you know meet a new person. You you only get that surface view of what they're putting out there. So it's only over time that you're going to get that deeper and deeper understanding of what yeah. motivates them, what moves them. I think and it's, it's that stuff. it's that consistent
0: application of it as well as I think is what you're saying there, John, about the journey side of things. Because I think a lot of the clients we've spoken to who sort of have done a bit of reading on ABM, and they, as you say, that silver bullet. They think that first piece of correspondence is going to, is going to win the work. It's going he's, he's to translate to a he, sale, and it it won't. No, it's the first touch point in an ongoing journey. And I tend to try, try to explain to people when you are explaining it in the sense of if you've got a hundred thousand pound marketing budget for a campaign or making up numbers, here just to make it a nice round number. Do you want to spend that on potentially X thousand irrelevant targets that you don't want to work with? Or would you rather, rather invest that hundred thousand across five individuals maybe and make the most cohesive yeah. campaign that at least you're going to drip feed relevant and valuable content to them that yeah, is going the to balance. make them want to engage?
1: Yeah. I'll just carry out that there to say that there is a place for both approaches. Absolutely. So the the broader campaign can bring you relevant leads too. It's just more of a, an unknown. In in many situations that is the right approach to take. Yeah. But particularly in a B2B space and particularly if you've got the kind of higher value sales or, or ongoing contracts or large contracts then it is worth spending more money to try and try and bring in Those higher value. Yeah. Exact figure on how much is worth investing is going to vary from company to company. but Mm I think that's important consideration to you know to factor in.
2: Yeah. I think you got to you've got to work out a whole set of parameters, haven't you, around lifetime value of the customer, deal size, you know, effort involved. There's also that kind of outbound inbound thing, isn't there? Of you know they're much more in control now. Yeah. Prospects are always in are in much more control. You know, you've given me tons of stats only about you know how much content they read about you and your business before they get in touch and it's a real inbound driven world now with quality of lead, lead scoring and all this kind of sophisticated stuff that frankly never existed when it was just like snail mail and um, the odd mm-hmm. byline or ad in a trade publication.
0: And I think that's why a lot of people are turning off from it because they start it as a good idea but it is quite difficult to it's hard work, it's hard work and it, there's a lot more there's a lot more effort than i want to sell to this individual because with abm for the people that have done the reading you know, the kind of examples i guess that i'm giving here and people are giving is kind of the uh, one-to-one or one-to-few kind of marketing examples. And yeah. you've got one-to-many where Ollie was saying you might divide people into companies or groups or personas or profiles. And then you've got the bigger, wider brand awareness splash activity that Ollie's referring to in terms of going to the market with it with a broader campaign. But all, all of that comes back to what objectives are you trying to achieve. So what are you trying to do with the campaign you're doing? And I think that's the starting point that we start with with every single client we work with of what you want to do. So if it's lead gen, okay, cool. Do you want to generate a number of leads that you're going to pass across to marketing or do you want to do you want to sell to individuals and that's where abm the conversation becomes more targeted and i think that's where for me with our clients it's knowing your audience groups and knowing who who the decision makers are in those businesses as Mm -hmm. well because and it's
2: knowing the value value of the audience groups as well yes we like with our client base for example we've got what i would call unashamedly commodity manufacturers who sell masses of single products at a very low unit cost yeah but then they've also got you know higher end propositions where it might be a service proposition an installation proposition a a huge capex expenditure that's higher value and you've got to kind of from from our perspective we've got to be realistic in terms of advising or what's the opposite of advising discouraging Mm a client who might come to us wanting to, I want to do ABM. Why do you want to do it? Oh, it's the, the new thing. Yeah. Well, let's look at your market first. Is your market a market that's ripe for ABM? You know, are, is it a price-based market? Is it a value-based market? Is it a service-based market? What is it? You know, can you create A lot, a lot of it value? depends
0: on what success looks like, doesn't it? Which is a question that I always hate, but it's a question of relevance. I guess in this case <laughs> of what does, if you're going to run this campaign and you win one account, so if that's one fifty pounds cool. order through an e-commerce website it's probably failed if that's one one million pound order from a key customer because that's how big the average order and deal size is for your business that's when abm can really come to the forefront and you should spend time investing Absolutely. in getting to know those key prospects key contacts key customers that you ultimately want to sell and engage with um, i guess one of the things that tends to crop up a lot ollie as well is well I, okay i've got these 10 individuals 10 people i want to go and contact whatever it may be or hundreds even or whatever it may be thousands where where do you where do you start in terms of the, the considerations around GDPR? How and how you I know, can I know different territory considerations here, obviously. Yeah. But in the sense of how are you allowed to send them a LinkedIn message? Are you allowed to um, send them a, a DM of some kind? What 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 whats is and isn't isn't precluded there? I guess.
1: Yeah. So without going uh, too far in this and, and dedicating an entire podcast to your yeah. Control,
0: yeah um
1: it does vary by company. Uh, sorry, not by company by country. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will need to look at which countries you're trying to target. The UK, for example, is really open. If I have your business email address, um, I can contact you. Basically, we're not we don't separate that at the moment. Whereas in many European countries, you need to have opted in for me to be able to contact you, and that applies whether that's an individual salesperson emailing you, or whether it's coming from a marketing campaign. With platforms like LinkedIn, you're, you've signed up to LinkedIn and you've agreed to LinkedIn's terms and conditions. So if you're on that platform, you can be messaged. So yeah, LinkedIn is, is a great way to be able to have those messages um, going through to people. The other aspect here, because there's a, different, there's a d- different route really for every, um, every channel. So phone calls, for example, are completely different. So they aren't prevented um, but under GDPR or the related e-privacy regulation because they're seen as something that's, uh, I suppose, harder to do on a mass scale. So if you want to pick up your phone and, and phone a particular company to speak to an individual, then you absolutely can do. The only caveat to that is that uh, things like auto dialers are more prohibited. You can't have your auto dialer ringing every, com- every different company. Um, so things like, to summarize, I suppose, messaging through social media, absolutely fine. Emailing people, if you manage to get their email address, however you've got it, it will depend on the, on the country, depending on whether or not you're allowed to email them. About three or four European countries is fairly open. Most countries in Europe are like a fairly locked down. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to things like phone, fairly open. Um, and then uh, direct mail, again, it's fairly open as long as you're not doing uh, kind of mass campaigns.
0: Okay. And it's not like I... it
1: used to be
2: in the okay. olden days. So I keep saying the olden days, sorry, pre internet, <laughs> pre marketing automation, where you would typically buy a list from a publisher and they'd give you one bite of the cherry so they would say right you've bought Mm -hmm. our list of or or from a list or company you know there used to be companies that would sell data lists like dun and bradstreet people like that and you'd get one bite of the cherry so you could take that list and you could mail everyone on that list once if they responded you then owned that email address and could then continue the conversation Mm -hmm. if they didn't respond." you couldn't contact them again?
1: Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, because I suppose that's dealing with third-party lists, and I think yeah. that's always a tricky area and one that I would always kind of prefer to avoid because I think you'd, you're generally getting into kind of not shady tactics, but you're not going to get anywhere near the same response rate as you would by trying to go about things at a more legitimate route. Um, and things are definitely getting more complicated with regards to GDPR in that regard. So if you are looking at anything that's third party data like that, I'd just really interrogate the person you speak to whoever's providing that list on GDPR, how they've obtained those contacts, what you're allowed to do, how they are GDPR compliant, and make sure that uh, you understand uh, and they're informing you how you can be GDPR compliant with that data. Right. It really depends on how they've collected it and what they've told people.
0: And I guess to right, to tie in and sort of wrap up this session to not take it too long because you can go on forever about abm at the minute but in the sense of i guess the the point around personalization personalized communications and even hyper personalization abm is another good opportunity to start thinking about that john would you say in the sense of um if you are if you are thinking about communicating with an individual or a business or whatever that how can that be reflected in terms of creating that more personalized journey for them yeah
2: I think I think it can certainly give you some advantages. But again, like you said earlier, Matt, it's, you've got to be in it for the long run. You can't just yeah. imagine that you're going to kind of, I don't know, I'm going to send a direct mail or an email to Matthew Smith at BDB. Oh, that's it. That's the person that's done it now yeah. who's got two children. And I know that, so I'm going to add that yeah. in. Yeah, It's not going to work. It's kind of, you've got to A, be in it for the long run and B, understand that the power is not with you now. It's kind yeah. of... It's that flip, isn't it, from outbound to inbound. It's Like Oliver was saying, GDPR, it feels like that's pushing yeah. everything to a more inbound-led approach. So you've got to have the knowledge, you've got to have the content, you've got to have the proposition right for that prospect. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think, uh, and we've definitely touched on this before, but make sure you're actually adding value. You can send yeah. a personalised, uh, you know, communication to somebody that mentions their specific company and, and, and their name and all, mm-hmm. you know, things that they might be interested in but if at the end of the day all you're saying is please read my brochure they're probably not going to switch on because people see a sales pitch and they turn off so think about what challenges they might be having or what opportunities they might be open to yeah and putting those in front of them and, and being that, I guess more consultative approach that will make them pay more attention to you as opposed to switch off for the second they see whatever you send them
2: Yeah. yeah
0: great sounds good so, uh, I thought we'll get into this one in terms of what key considerations people should think about when starting an ABM campaign. I think what I would say is, as a rapper, is don't be, don't be worried by it, but just take it seriously. So, it, is, is it right for you to be adopting that kind of approach? What are the objectives you want to achieve from the ABM campaign you're doing? What's the measurement you're putting around it? Um, what does success look like? What does a great ABM campaign look like? Um, so on and so on i think what i would say for the meantime is don't just jump on the on the gravy train because you think it's a buzzword and you should be doing abm it might not be right for your business so there's wider marketing tactics wider communication strategies and you know that that catch-all bigger splash marketing might be right for you so we're not we're not saying it's wrong it's more of a abm's another consideration i think to throw into the marketing mix so okay anything else to add guys
2: before i close off
1: I suppose just to no. move on the point that um, I think the key thing to getting ABM right, and hopefully everybody that's listening is already doing this, is making sure that your marketing team and your sales team are working hand-in-hand. Yes. Know there's always a little bit yeah. odds in, in some capacity, but start joining sales meetings, start understanding what challenges they're facing, who they're trying to reach. Because really it should be um, a, a journey that works hand-in-hand while that salesperson is having those Conversations over a period of time with that prospect, make sure that you're nurturing them with content and make sure the sales team understands what they're being nurtured with and that it's relevant and related so that the salesperson can have relevant conversations along that journey with them about the content that they're being sent.
2: I think that's really important, Ollie, that kind of idea of being able to use sales objections to actually power your content and your solutions to kind of mirror what they need okay well hopefully that's
0: um i guess demystified some of the stuff around abm it seems to be one of those topics that does keep popping up and no doubt we'll continue to revisit it as and when we come across different client experiences and as the um as the landscape continues to evolve around it i guess and on that note feel free to check out our uh ungated knowledge hub uh www.b2bknowledge.com um our content hub for all things uh, b2b marketing um helping our clients prospects and contacts navigate the ever-evolving b2b marketing landscape so that's it from us for this week uh we'll be back again probably remotely probably via this kind of zoom or team setting at some point we hope to be back in the office together having a beer but from uh, from
2: Sir Patrick Stewart, from Ollie, from John, from me. Thanks very much. See you soon.